Welcome to Talk Purpose and Truth with Eden and Kim, shifting you into higher consciousness. The show that elevates, uplifts, and encourages listeners to grow, heal, awaken, and evolve. Eden and Kim include bold topics, special interviews with inspiring guests, intuitive readings, channeled messages from beyond, including celebrities, hot topics to expand your awareness, and time for questions from the audience. Tune in for unprecedented truth, authenticity, on-purpose discussions, and magical moments. Hi, Hi, Kim. Hi, Eden. (laughs) How you doing? Talk Purpose and Truth. Yeah. Excited to be here. Excited to have a very unique, inspiring, talented guest with us today. And we were going to talk about something important in the media right now, but we want to we want to introduce our guest to be a part of that and then get on with the interview. So I'll introduce Mr. Morris Hayes. He is a keyboardist, producer, musical director, songwriter, and was is best known for having worked with Prince for many, many years, part of the time, part of the MPG, worked with Maceo Parker, Maserati, among many others, and I'm sure he'll add more. I, I did notice that, and I, and I have seen it so many times, that he got to perform in the Super Bowl with Prince, which I feel was the best one that's ever been done yet and can't be topped. <laughs> so um, I'm getting lots of goosebumps. So I feel like we have we have some good energy here with us today. Um, so welcome, Morris. Hey, hey. Fantastic. <laughs> Glad to be here. Glad to have yeah, you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for being here. I oh, see you have I'm, you, I'm happy to be here. Our audience can't see, but you have some Prince memorabilia behind you. They'll be able to see on the YouTube channel. Yeah. I'll be on YouTube. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and we, I wanted to shout out to Cindy Cowan because she's a friend of ours and she, she was highly recommending that we have Morris on and we were like, yes, yes. And oh my we have God. a lot of audience members that love Prince. We've had on um, Dwayne Tudal, and we've had on Cindy, Devin DeVasquez, Neil, Neil Carlin, mm-hmm. a bunch of people that, that also have worked with Prince, love Prince. So um, we have a lot of people that love him and will be thrilled to hear you today for your gifts as well as your experiences with Prince. That's wonderful. Those are some mighty fine folks you just named off there. Glad to be in such good company. Oh, right, right. <laughs> well, before we start the interview, I think it's important that we address because our podcast is all about mental health um, and something that's kind of big in the news right now with Simone Biles and the fact that she opted out of co- competing in some of the uh, events during the Olympics this year, just recently. Um, so let's kind of talk about that I feel like it was quite inspiring to me and I think a lot of the the world looked at it like that that it was inspiring that she put her mental health first so yeah I I mean I read I read about it and it's it's actually a common phenomenon for someone in like that does athleticism or sports they get something called the twisties and 
when we're not doing sports, we probably get it in some other form, but basically your mind freezes. And for a short time, you don't know where you are or what you're doing. And a lot of times they get into these severe accidents or something can happen. And she was having that happen because of the pressure she was putting on herself and was being put upon her. And so she made that brave decision. She probably could have lied and said it was something else, but she made that brave and courageous decision to say it was her mental health. Yeah. And so I do feel like that's a good example because people are scared of the stigma of that. Like, oh, I'm going to be looked at as, you know, weird or crazy or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for her to, to opt out of something so big, you know, as, as, as the Olympics, that really says a lot that she's putting her mental health first. Um, whereas, you know, I think a lot of um, athletes in the past have just worked through their their issues, whether it be mental health or something physical, they, and they, I think they were, um, I think a good setting an example to just push through regardless. But I think now this is something that the world needs that to wake up our consciousness, to realize that the mental health can, can really hinder our performance and, and it's okay to say no to things. It's okay to say no to doing the Olympics. Yeah, well, she she rested and and got healthy, and then she won bronze in the balance beam. So yeah. she got the best of of both. How do you feel about it, Morris? It's a it's an interesting uh, uh, situation that we have here with this because you look at a situation like the Olympics, where people train, you know, for years for this one event, and uh, it's very rigorous training, very intense training. Um, and uh, you're on a world stage, you know, it's a lot of pressure, of course, but then uh, this is a sport for the, the most elite of athletes. Uh, but what I think she did was very brave and that um, uh, she did call attention to what is happening with this, with the, her mental health. I think she has a worldwide platform and I think she can make a very big impact by, by putting herself out there like that. And several other uh, athletes have. Uh, we have no, unless you've trained for something like this or unless, unless you've been subjected to this kind of pressure, I don't know if we fully understand what somebody like in a position like that go through. Now, that being said, uh, there's uh, many people that have high pressure jobs and have high pressure situations that you have to understand because you are, you, you've, you've chosen this profession and you go in it. Like I look at my situation with Prince, it's very much a high pressure job. And uh, it was very tense many days. Uh, some days I would see his car in the garage and my stomach would get upset because I'm like, oh my God, he's here. You know, mm-hmm. Because he was a tough guy, you know. But I was at the top of my game. I was at the top of what I said I wanted to do when I got in the music industry, is I wanted to be with the best and I wanted to, to keep up with the big dogs. So there's a certain amount of sacrifice and a certain amount of, of work that goes into something like that that is rigorous, that is difficult, or else everybody would do it. If it, you know, if it was easy, everybody would do it, but it's not. And so sometimes uh, you had, I think just like in sports or in music or anything, any walk of life, when you get to a point with mental health question, you have to do what you have to do to protect your, yourself, protect your brains, protect your heart, whatever you gotta protect. You have to do whatever you have to do in order to do that. And sometimes the um, 
the thing that you're doing may not be as important as that is. Yeah. You know I mean? So um, that's the thing that, that, that is the fine balance we have to walk. I think a lot of people mm -hmm. expect a lot of these athletes because they are uh, operating on a higher frequency. They are not the average bear. They're not average folks. They, you know, they have this incredibly intense training. They're like the Navy SEALs of what they do. And so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Navy SEAL training is not easy. That would be considered abuse in any other job to be a Navy SEAL. No, not just anybody can be that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's a hard gig to do. You pick yeah. to be a Navy SEAL, you got to expect to get your butt kicked, <laughs> you know, in order to, to come out of the refinery and come out to what those guys, you know, so I think there's a balance to the whole situation. I, I, on one hand, I see that she needs to protect her health and she has to do what she has to do to, to take care of that. On the other hand, you have a Herculean tech. You're part of an elite group of people who go and do a severely extreme job. Yeah. And when you train for that job, then people expect you to do it. When I go on stage with Prince, nobody cares about my uh, troubles and my other thing. They, they, I, well, let me say it like this. They came expecting to see a show. My keyboard yeah. issues, my other issues did not become their issues. They paid money to come see a show. You know, Prince told me this more. It's like when your stuff breaks, don't stand there like a deer in the headlights. Do, do something. It's rock and roll. The show must go on. You see, you see, I'm so I always like to look at all sides of an issue and a situation and try from, from both sides of the, of, the, of, the, of the situation. I think, um, first of all, a lot of kids are just that they're kids, they're expected to operate at a frequency that most adults can't even sustain, and they go and do this kind of thing because of the training. That they and I don't know how they can manage to sustain. Uh, their situation with the kind of pressure that they have, I think that's remarkable in itself. That these are kids, and we sometimes we forget that they're like 20 and 14 and 18, and like these type. When we don't even give them the freedom of choice to make their own decision till you're 18, and that they have to carry the United States on their back for some of these events, that's a lot of pressure, man. I mean, yeah. I'm just saying. Right. Right. Amazing. Yes. Yeah. Analogies. I mean, it's, I do, I do see all those sides and, and that's a great teaching for everybody is to stop, pause and look at all sides of something before you just judge, you know, or before you just give your opinion. So I think that's really important. Yes. And the other part of it was when you talked about having a better balance, that's something I think that a lot of these athletes or any, any, anyone average person, to an Olympic athlete, I think, and the Navy SEALs, we, we all need to be taught also um, how to also to better take care of our mental health at the same time as being an elitist and, you know, whatever we're doing at whatever we're doing, being the best at what we're doing. I think we could have both. But I, I think this is a wake up call for everyone, for the for the collective, for the for the world to realize that that has to be also accounted for when when being at your best and if right. that falls falls by the wayside then this is the result I, yeah i think you called it earlier the key is uh, i think of everything and all of this is balance that's the key yeah of everything is is having some sort of balance in some kind of a situation where um there's a pressure valve and there's something that you can mitigate a lot of these issues that pop up.
So I think that was what you said. I think that's yes. Okay. Well, let's get into asking you some questions, some personal questions now. <laughs> you ready? <laughs> okay. Um, so you have had an amazing experience experiences as a musician in the time and as Prince's musical director and in the MPG, as well as working with other great, the, a lot of other greats. Um, so what were some of the experiences and what has this been like for you? How can you tell us about some of the, the most fun experiences and the most crazy random experiences? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, like I was alluding to earlier, you know, it's um, it's a funny thing. When, when I, December 19, December 17, 1982, I went to see Prince in my hometown, in the small hometown in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. And, um, that was a moment of uh, recognizing my destiny because I, I was 50 rolls back and I saw the time come up and I thought, my God, these guys are good. I'm going to play with those guys. I pointed at the stage and said, I'm going to play with those guys. They're amazing. And then Prince came on. And both of these groups I'd never seen live before. I never saw them live. They came, Prince came on. I said, oh, my God, he's great. I'm going to play with him too. Just like hmm. that. It would take nine years for me to play with the time and 10 years to play with Prince. And uh, and it was all about then from that moment that I left out of that building, all roads led to Minneapolis, some sort of way. You know, that's how inspired and, 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 um, and like I felt like I was walking on air when I left out of the venue. After seeing that, I'd never seen anything like that. Mm. And so uh, to... Uh, to leave and then have like that that's it for me that's it i got that's what i i have to do that i have to do that so then it's the hero's journey from that point and it's like whatever i have to do to get to that end that's what i have to do so i spent all those years doing a whole lot of other things you know local bands and moving to chicago to go to school moving to memphis moving to you know going to texas to minneapolis there was a lot of things that was uh, in the route to going uh, to the Minneapolis situation. And, and when I finally got a break to do it, uh, we, we landed a few with my band, landed a few openings for some groups that were out in the game in the 80s, you know, New Shoes, The Jets, um, Club Nouveau, a bunch of groups that were like hot in the 80s. And uh, Maserati was one of the groups. And we got a chance to open for them and meet uh, Brown Mark and Craig Rice, who was manager of the group and one of Prince's road managers. And so everything just kind of like lined itself up for us to, to make this connection. And when I finally, and I'm, and I'm condensing the story right. quite a bit, but uh, but when I got the opportunity to come to Minneapolis to, to join Maserati, I got an audition for myself and the lead singer of my band. Um, we went to Minnesota and, um, you know, that went well, but then Maserati got caught up in some snares. Uh, when the record label changed, uh, Motown got bought out by MCA, blah, 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 and you know how that goes. They, they sell off all the assets or, or release a bunch of artists or whatever, and then uh, uh, take over the whatever the label is, and then uh, they throw out a bunch of stuff and add new people. So I basically got a job at Paisley Park, you know, through Craig, who was the facility director there, and just driving the van, PF production assistant. I had a walkie-talkie. 
and uh, just picking up the talent, George Clinton, Mavis Staples, Teddy Campbell, whoever that needed to be picked up and brought on set for the film that Prince was shooting. And, and I got a break from a, a gentleman, uh, Levi Caesar, who was uh, one of Prince's producers at the time, threw me a bone and allowed me to play on the session. And um, that's, and I'd worked around the building, you know, I'd see Prince around, but he never spoke to me. There's a lot of people who worked at the time. There's like a hundred people plus that worked at the studio. So it was like Star Trek, people walking around, you don't know what they do, they just people walking and uh, in the building. So um, I, he, he let me play on a song from the time. And um, that uh, was my opening into the situation because then I wasn't like a truck driver, I was the, the keyboard player. And uh, Prince heard it, a guy from the label heard it. And I remember sitting in the studio and I, and I learned uh, when I'm hanging out with when Prince was there because I wasn't part of the crew, you know, I didn't want to bring a lot of attention to myself because once he noticed you, then, then he'd be like, what's, what, what's he doing here? Is this? <laughs> and then so you get blue. So I just wanted to always be quiet, sit in the corner, not laugh too loud. If the jokes are funny, I'd just hold it in and just not laugh too loud and just <laughs> bring attention to myself. And uh, this day he said, um, uh, it's a nice solo. And I kind of looked around like, like you talking to me? He's like, you played the solo, right? I said, yeah. Then he said, then I'm talking to you. <laughs> and I said, you know, thank you. Like, thanks a lot. And then it was like, everything was cool. And that opened the door to him seeing me like a, you know, as a musician rather than the van driver. And mm. then um, that led to me getting in. Now, once I got in, uh, needless to say, it was like I was uh, alluding to in the, uh, talking about the athletes. It was a very tough thing. It was a very, I mean, Prince was always nice to me, like, especially in the beginning, it was, I call it the honeymoon period. Mm -hmm. He's just super <laughs> nice. He's like taking songs out of the vault to play me. And it was just like, everybody's like, man, he's letting you listen while he's cutting vocals. I said, yeah, I was in there while he was doing, they said, he don't let people come in there when he's doing vocals. I'm like, yeah, I was just sitting in there watching him do vocals. I was just in there, you know? Wow. And I came to find out that that was very much a big deal. Wow. Uh, as later, like Morris Oprah's on, <laughs> head on out. <laughs> so, but what I found out is that it was a very intense job a very, very intense job to the point that like, uh, I knew I was in boot camp training. That's why I alluded to like the Navy SEALs is one of the most rigorous uh, trainings you can ever do to be something as a Navy SEAL. And, and, and so this was the Navy SEAL of band stuff. This dude was hard. And I was just like, oh my God, he's beating the crap out of us. Like it was mentally tough. It was physically tough because Prince didn't sleep. And yeah. so you don't sleep. If you don't sleep, you don't sleep. And, 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 you know, I just thought that you stay up two or three days at a time. I, I just would stay up three days in a row. And, wow. and I just thought, you know, that's what you do when you're with the big dogs. That's how they, that's how come they're the big dogs. They mm -hmm. stay up. So if you want to keep up, you stay up or you'll find yourself at home. You know? Wow. So it, it, Did you find yourself delirious sometimes? Let me tell you, I have to try it someday, 72 hours with no sleep. And by the third day, the end of the third day, you're pretty slap happy. You're like everything's, I remember us laughing about something that was the most mundane of things, but we were laughing uncontrollably, like because somebody like, I don't even know what it was anymore. Like somebody like opened a Coke and the tab broke off. Like, <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and everybody's just laughing. And then you're thinking like, why? This is not really funny, but, but I can't stop my, I'm just like, you're just slap happy. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, you're on drugs. And like I was just like, drugs. <laughs> this, you're just like, this is so weird, bro. Like, I felt like I was high and I never, I, I never done any drugs. And I, I, I thought this is what high must be because it was crazy. <laughs> You know, but but that, that was it very intense and the pressure, you know, I don't read music. So Prince was like very quick in everything he did. So he would do it very fast and then move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. So his whole thing is when we do it, Morris, Morris, he said, when we do it, <laughs> you have to, I don't care how you remember it, hieroglyphics, write it down whatever whatever method you need in order to me not to have to go back over this again when we come in tomorrow we're moving forward we're not going over what we did yesterday oh wow so you have, you have to remember you have to write it down you have to do something how did if you I'm do waiting that for you, by the grace of god i yeah <laughs> i'm telling you right now it, it was just the sheer it was the sheer pressure of not wanting to fail and not wanting to lose it, go home a failure to be at a and stuff. Because that was when I got even when Prince asked me about doing a job, I will never forget it. I uh, had came off the tour, the Diamonds and Pearls tour uh, with Carmen Electra. I was uh, her MD. And um, it was the weirdest thing. Uh, there was a guy named Gilbert Davidson who used to be one of Prince's bodyguards, and then he started running the Prince's nightclub, the Glam Slam in Minneapolis. And uh, and so I, I ran into Gilbert and he was waiting for me in the, like at the entrance of the club. And uh, after I had heard from all of these people and I'm puzzled as to why the bass player, the rapper, all of them were congratulating me. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so when I saw Gilbert, he was waiting and he said, Morris, and before I could say, hey, Gilbert, how you doing, man? He's like, you want to be in the band? And I said, well, Gilbert, I don't know. I got to think about it. I heard these contracts Prince give her like crazy. And he said, uh, he said, look, Morris, he said, look, he said, okay. I'll, I told Prince you already said yes. <laughs> wow. And I said, oh, now it makes sense. <laughs> I said, because I'm like, why is everybody congratulating me? Well, because he told Prince, I'm sure he, you know, Prince said, hey, call Morris and see about him being in the band. And Gilbert just assumed, of course, I'm going to say yes. He's like, yeah, he's going to say yes. So he said, so Prince probably saw him and said, hey, Gilbert, you talked to Morris. And he's like, oh, sure, yeah, Prince, he's good. Yeah, he's great. Because mm. <laughs> you know, I'm going to say great. And so, uh, so when I saw him and I didn't say great, he knew. Prince was upstairs waiting. When I got there, his security detail was going to call me over. Gilbert knew this. And so he had to say, okay, Morris. I already told him you said yes. And I said, well, Gilbert, you shouldn't have did that. I don't, I don't know what I'm gonna, I gotta think about. And he was like, no, no, no. Uh, he said, don't worry about the contract. I'll fix the contract, don't worry about it. Wow. Sure enough, I said, okay, cool. So sure enough, I go upstairs. The minute Prince sees me, the minute he sees me, he, he uh, um, sends, it, sends his uh, security detail over. And they go, boss wants to see you. And I go over. And so Prince says, hey, what's up, grandson? Uh, want a job, need some work? Like that. And I, said, and I said, yeah, I'll be over there first thing Monday to mow that grass for you. And we had a big laugh about it. 
you know, we laughed. He said, no, nah, man, I mean to be in the band. And I said, oh, let me check my palm palette. Yeah, I can make it. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, and and so here's the point. Halfway to my car, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm like elated, like I'm like tripping. Halfway to my car, I'm excited. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like, Princess, I need to be in the band. I'm like, <laughs> the other halfway, I was like, oh my God. Oh boy, I've tricked these people. And now they're going to know that I suck now. Oh. And, and, and I'm going to be, I'm going to, if I don't get this, I'm going to be the laughing stock of Minnesota. I'm going to be like, because everybody's already congratulating me. And I really haven't gone through the trial by fire yet. And so, you know, a lot of people, this was a gig not everybody could do that are far, far better players than me. It's right. just a mental there's other things that go into it so now halfway to the car i'm thinking like oh my god i am going to be the i'm gonna to have to leave the city if i if this doesn't work out i have to go people be like yeah bro heard about the prince thing man that's too bad sorry about <laughs> that bro better luck next time oh you know, my god like so i was like oh my god oh my god and i was really like like Oh my God, what have I done? I've tricked these people. And now he thinks I'm like up at the status of some of his cats. You know, I always had my own, you know, when you talk about what your show's about, I suffered a lot from my own self um, uh, worth and what I, what, how good I was. And mm -hmm. I just never thought I was at, nearly operating at the frequency of the guys that he worked with, you know? And I was like, now I've been able to skate under the wire and get by, but now, the covers are coming off. Prince is going to expose what I really don't know. Mm. And now I'm going to be a laughing stock. That's what I felt. But the opposite happened. The opposite happened. Yeah. And I think it, it was a myriad of reasons for that. And I think one is, is just the sheer will of not to fail and just mm -hmm. be a to my town, to my family, to my friends. And I just, I could not. I said, I have to do everything I to, that I can do to, to win in this. I had to go in early. I had to stay late. I didn't sleep much. I, did, I just worked. And it was like, because I knew I was operating at a deficit because I didn't ever study music. I didn't study the right way to do it. I just had the natural ability that I could hear and I could, repl I could replay what I hear. And I had a pretty decent ear. And, um, but it was so many more things working for me than just my skill set. Uh, I'm a, I think I was a, a good cat, personality-wise. You know, I'm a, I'm the kind of guy. I'm a happy bloke. You know, I like to joke and have fun and things like that. And I'm a peacekeeper. I'm not a person that's, that's out to, you know, wreak havoc and division and these type of things. So I tried to make myself valuable in other ways other than just being musically good, I just said, you know, there are things I wanted to be the person that's not going to be the problem. That's not the reason why there's an issue, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I tried to make it difficult for you to find somebody to fill my position because I'm just going to be the best in the slot. I try to do what I could to make the whole thing work. And I, and I also thought I need to understand this guy. What is the missing piece of this? And I think a lot of people didn't really understand Prince or, or sought to understand it or your boss, the person that you're working for, 
to understand what is their thing and see what the bigger picture is. Prince was always a big picture person. And so he knew, he was good enough to know what my skill sets were watching me become an actor. And he knew I was needed some work. So he also knew how good of an instructor he was. He knew I wasn't there yet, but he knew he was going to beat the hell out of me until I got mm. where he needed me. And how many years you worked with him and was for years and years and years, right? For close to 20 years. And I was there uh, during a 20 year time from 1992. I started with Prince at the end of 1992, played my first gig in 93, early 93. And I left in 2012. And then there was a, a couple few years in there with Maceo Parker, who used to play with him also. Right. Uh, during years. And I would play with Maceo whenever Maceo wasn't playing with Prince. And, um, and so I spent a bit of time. So 18, at least 18 solid years, but 20 year span that I was That's long. Out. For Prince, that's very long. That's yeah. longer than anything else that he's had in the band. Uh, there's been wow. other people that have been, Rick Johnson's been around a long time and a few people that have been around for a good while, but I was the longest one. If you're on watching Jeopardy and you need that trivia question. That would be ah, <laughs> that's pretty, that's amazing. And, and I, I just love how you were so vulnerable and authentic in explaining that because I think in any field, let alone this, which is epic, you know, um, people get that, you know, we have those thoughts going through our heads and who knows where they come from sometimes. It could be, you know, inherited maybe even from past loved ones or whatever, but to show that you, you pushed through and did it anyway and you did so in a peaceful, non-egotistical manner is so inspiring and um i just think that that's amazing because especially for a lot of the stereotypes in the entertainment industry they're like oh you gotta screw people over and you gotta be this way and you're such a shiny example of the opposite look it it, it really comes down to to this um i always thought it was interesting i i, I knew i could never be a hip-hop or cat or rapper because you always have to say i'm the greatest i'm the best and i'm this and i'm I'm a bit like this. And that, that makes me very uncomfortable <laughs> to, mm. to say yeah. those types of things. And uh, double one, because I've, I know too many people that are extraordinarily great keyboard players, great instrumentalists, great singers that will not have not and will not come close to the level of success that I enjoy with Prince. And it's not for the lack of talent. I know I know keyboard players that have gotten Grammys that lived on the street. You know, it's not about the talent all the time. That's one component of what you needed, I think, to be successful. And if you don't have those other things, I mean, if you're difficult to work with, if you're a great musician, but people hate to deal with you because you're such a butt pipe, I mean, then that's <laughs> that's not an optimal situation to have. You know, it's like. Um, I, I've spoken to some that I've had to like tell, like, you know, uh, that's great that you're like phenomenal player, but if nobody can deal with you, that's like having a Corvette with an AM radio in it. It's just like, that's a waste. It doesn't make any sense. It's like, brother, you have to make yourself such that you humble yourself and, and people can use you and use your talent. And, and you know, but I, but I guess you can do whatever you want. It's just, it's just that you, your opportunities open up more and I know people that are great. Greg Fillingames is one of my heroes. He's one of the greatest keyboard players ever touch a keyboard. One of the nicest people you will ever meet, but will beat the socks off of you playing some keyboards. He's never <laughs> butt pipe. 
He's never, he's always cool. And that proves to me, you can be dope and be cool. Yes. He's, he's an example, you know, and there's plenty of other people that I know that are great like that. But then you get some that are not nearly as good as Greg and you think they would, that they would Stevie Wonder, that Stevie Wonder could actually be a butt pipe if he wanted to be, because he's so damn good, but he's even cool. <laughs> Stevie tell me, you know, put his hand on my arm and weep on my arm. I'm looking at this man with his arm, with his hand on my arm, crying and saying, oh, so sad for what happened to Prince. What do you want me to do? And I'm like, hell, man, you Stevie Wonder, you can do whatever you want to do. Oh. <laughs> I'll follow you. You know what I'm saying? That's wow. Stevie Wonder. And he humbled himself to say, how can I help? And so I, man, please, you can't say nothing to me. If Stevie Wonder can do that, you can, bruh, come on. Exactly, exactly. You can't be stupid because Stevie already beat your brains out and he cool. So you can't come stupid. You can't do yeah. it. Yeah. Wow. I think a lot of, I think a lot of those people, even if they did something else, whatever they did in the world or do in the world, they would still be jerks. <laughs> so well, it's probably just some so. people are just like that. Some people are wired that way and it's unfortunate, but I, I think like it, like in everything else, you got some that falls on that side of the issue. And I think even they're there for a purpose because I learn a lot of what not to do. The only, right. you know, when somebody says like it was a waste of time, it's only a waste of time if you didn't learn something from it. If you didn't garner anything from the experience, that's something Prince gave me a book called The Secret, uh, gave me a film. And mm -hmm. he said, Morris, I, I want you to have this. He said, um, you know, it doesn't really talk about God or anything, but he says, I like where it's going. I like what it's about. It's like universal law of attraction and energy. It's, it's, and, I, and I checked it out and it was great. And, what it, and it taught me a lot of things just about the way you look at things and how you perceive things and energy. And in one of the great parts in that book, uh, I love Mother Teresa. I always thought she was just this incredible human being, just like, you know, you're in Calcutta in the worst parts of Calcutta and you're just doing these things. And, and you're just have sacrificed yourself for, for your cause. And, and somebody had asked Mother Teresa to, they wanted her because they knew she was a staunch advocate for peace and all this. They said, we, Mother Teresa, we're having an anti-war rally. Will you come and speak and, 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 and say something at our anti-war rally? She said, no. She said, but if you ever have a peace rally, call me for that and I'll come for that. Yes, yes. I have quoted, I do inspirational speaking. And I have quoted that in, in my talks before. I love it. Yeah. That's all yeah. I'm saying. That taught me, right? Because at first I had to think about that. I said, well, it's the same. But no, it's not the same. Yeah. It's the energy. Where, where are you putting your energy? That's it. It's an energy thing. And it's where you're sinking your energy. Don't, don't, don't rail for what you don't want. Rail for what you do. Well, that's what I was thinking that's when you ended up in the band because five years or nine years before that, you put it out there into the universe that you wanted to be in the band. Absolutely. So you manifested Everything goes, it. Absolutely. Yeah. And that is the point because, and not only that, I realized even micro things, small things, like I wanted to be with this roller skate group. I used to go to the skating rink and I couldn't skate. And there was these guys that were crazy dope. They could do all this stuff and they could jump over each other, do all this stuff. I said, man, I want to do that. I want to skate like these dudes. Mm -hmm. And, and boom, there, I was laying in this very house, in this very room. In 1979, I was watching Soul Train. And, and Patrice Russian, who is a dear friend of mine now, 
Patrice Russian, great keyboard player, master musician, was on Soul Train. And I'm watching her. And I said out loud, I'm just like laying on the floor, like, you know, kids watch TV, laying on the floor with their hand in their face, put their legs behind them, just, you know. And, and she came on and I said, man, I want a keyboard like that, the Fender Rhodes. And it was a lady that traveling gospel singer. Her and her husband used to travel to Mid-South and they would sing and they'd stay at our place and they'd stay at different places when they were traveling around the tri-state area here. And uh, the lady was sitting on the couch with my mom. They were just talking while I was watching TV. And she looked up at the TV. She said, that thing? She said, oh, I got one of them. I don't even like it. She said, she bought me one of them things. And I thought it was going to sound like a piano. And she said, it don't sound like no piano. She said, I don't even like it. She said, if you want it, we owe about $600, pay the $600, and you can have it. <laughs> I'm like, of course. I'm like, excuse me, baking soda. <laughs> I'm like, what? And so I tell my dad, like, hey, dad, $600, dad. The thing called like $3,000. She got the signal. She says she don't want it. She said, well, son, you either get that or a car. You ain't getting both. Mm. I said, I think. Wow. So already manifesting then. So, so, I, but the, the key is, if I just thought it in my brain, mm -hmm. she never would have heard it. Right? Right. It would have went by as a thought, but I opened my mouth. And when you speak, you manifest. That's speaking. <laughs> Like I, I look at the Genesis story in the Bible and I always thought it was interesting because, you know, if you believe in God, if you believe God can do all of the things that the Bible says he can do, he's all powerful and can do all of these things. You can build a universe, right? Then, then you'd have to also believe that if God actually wanted to do everything in like this fast, he could do it that way. If you can believe he, cause God, if he's that powerful, he don't need to rest. He don't need to go to sleep. He don't need to do none of that. It was, right. a, it was a perfect, everything. Thing was done for a reason to teach and show you something as a purpose seven days i'm gonna do this then i'm gonna rest then we're gonna take a rest we're gonna have the sabbath with all of these things so there's a purpose for all of it that he's trying to lay out so that you can understand the route of doing things as as people that we can do so everything he did he said it first he said let it be this let it be that he could just went with some magic sparkle dust like bewitch and say ding, 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 and it's all been there God, he can do whatever he want to do, right? If you believe that, because right. otherwise he has limitations. And we all, I've always been taught, taught God has no limitation. The only thing he can't do is lie. He can't mm -hmm. fail, he can't lie. So that's the only limitation and I wouldn't consider that a limitation. So then that means that there was a purpose of why it was done that way. So when we speak something out, it's a manifestation. So if you even say, I'm sick, man, I don't feel good, man. Then guess what? You sick and you don't feel good. That's yeah. what happens. You know, that's just because you manifest what you say. So uh -huh. I always try to be careful what comes out of my mouth because good or bad, the knife cut both cut, cut both ways. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we're all about that as well. So so on the note back to mental health, we work closely with the Imperfectly Perfect campaign, which is a global campaign to help reduce the stigma around mental health. Have you experienced any hardships that you've overcome in your life? And you did talk a little bit about how you, how you had a little bit of challenges with some stuff with your self-esteem or mental health. What would you say that you feel about that in society today and how has it affected you? Absolutely. Look, um, I, I, I spent in my 20s. Uh, I'm, you know, in my 20s. I'm a young cat, you know, going into the game, one of the greatest in the business 
you know, and I started working there early. That was my whole career up until like 2012 when I left. That's all I knew as an adult was Prince and, and that situation. So the, the, the one thing I think a lot of people don't realize um, is that Prince is an anomaly. And, and, and if you don't really have the training and, and, and somebody, if you didn't really learn how to manage your money, how to do things like this, because artists are like interesting creatures. We, we will work with different sides of the brain. You got left brain, right brain stuff going. And when you're like artists, I didn't think about money and different stuff like that. Now I was creative. I just was like doing that. My ex-wife used to deal with all of that stuff. And it's just like, yeah, I didn't care about it. I didn't want to know about it. It's like, here's the money, here's the yeah. stuff. You deal with it. And I go create and I do what I do. You know? And I think when all of it came to an end, I got divorced in 2013, I got the Prince in 2012, it all came crashing down, man. And I found myself at this age now and thinking like, what am I going to do with myself? Like, what is, what? What am I? What, what am I going to do? And by the grace of God and by the, the help of some friends, you know, a friend of mine, Zoe Ryan, great friend of mine. And um, she called me out of the blue and just said, hey, Morris, I'm in China. Uh, why don't you come to China? And uh, I'm gonna, I got an idea for a project I'd like you to work on. And Zoe, I can't come to China. I'm over here trying to figure out how I'm going to make these. these. And that L.A. living is expensive. It's crazy. You know, I lived off my savings for some years. I had a million dollar house in the valley. So, you know, it's like when I got divorced and sold that, I just let my wife just like, whatever. You know, and it was just like crazy trying to figure out what you're going to do. And, and, and I had really come to a place like things had gotten like low. Like, and I just was like, I didn't know what direction I was going to go or what I was going to do. And it was, very, it was a very uh, difficult time. And I remember Zoe calling me and just saying, you know, come to China. And, uh, and, and, and so I, was, I lived like six months in, in Shanghai. And um, it, it, was, it was incredible because uh, from coming from that super low and depression, um, I was able to basically, you know, everybody says, you know, if you, if you man, dig a hole straight through and you'll be in China, you're on the other side of the planet. And so though he thought, well, Morris, you should like you should be an artist yourself. You should sing, you should do that. I'm like, man, no, like that's crazy. Like, well, I'm a keyboard player. And she what she did was she just took it upon herself to like book me, you know, and her really, really she had a penthouse that was like crazy and a bunch of high-end like uh neighbors and and she just invited all these people over to her big living room for a show and said, You got three days, I already did it. I said, Zoe, I, I can't. She said, Well, they're all coming. <laughs> I said, you shouldn't have did that, Zoe. I mean, she said, Morris, you got to do something. Now, it's going to be some people here that, are, that, are, that can move some things and can do some things. You need to step up. And I did my thing of staying up two or three days in a row and put a show together, 30 minutes set together for these 40 people that came to her house. And that single-handedly was one of the things that turned me around. Wow. She was an angel. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. And I was pissed off at her. I was. I was very <laughs> up. And I was mad. I was like, Zoe, you shouldn't have did that. You shouldn't have, you shouldn't have taken it upon yourself. I, that's not what I... And she said, Morris, well, I'm sorry. I did it already. So they're coming. And uh, they expect to see <laughs> the show. And and I, I put it together. I created the songs that I made it. And, and it went over great. And uh, there was a person there. 
that was a promoter for big EDM shows and stuff like that in Shanghai. And she said, that was great. You know, would you be interested in coming here to do my festival? And I actually came back to LA and got hooked up with a buddy of mine from many, many years back in my cover band days named David Alexander. And um, he has the school there called Icon Collective right in Burbank. Like, uh, and, we, and we decided to put an EDM group together. I mean, so it just was a catalyst and just like the help of my friend and somebody to just say, I'm not gonna let you fall down and just sink. And she, she, she saw the situation and she uh, pushed me in a direction of saying, I want you to get back on your feet and I want you to get back in there. And she really uh, embraced me and, and put me back on, on point. That's you amazing. Know, um, and that's the beautiful thing about it. And I think that the, the takeaway is that I've come to understand. I've also tried to help people like what Zoe did for me in the wake of COVID and what's happened. There's been a lot of destroyed careers. I have, the last show I did was 20, 2020. January was the Grammys. I, I played with Usher at the Grammys. That's the last. Oh yeah, show. yeah. And and that was that's crazy. You know that, that that some of us haven't done anything like in line of what we do. There's that many, is many a long time. Yeah. It's, it's almost two years. If it rolls around in January, that'd be two years. And we're we're almost in the fall. We're like in the summer, getting toward the mid in the summer. That's a good while to not do what you do, especially right. people that love. You know, musicians, man. I mean, you ain't got to beat us to go back to work. I mean, they're like, oh, these lazy people eating up checks. <laughs> like, bro, I'd be glad to get back on stage. Right. You can't, can't get people, a crowd of people in a room with the situation being as it is. It's so, yeah, it's gotten crazy. Very man. Difficult. Yeah, it's very difficult. And, and so there's a lot of people right now suffering from the same thing that I went through when I was dealing with it. But, it, but now it's even worse because. It's not even like you just don't know what to do. You so you can't do anything, right? You know? I can't no, imagine. I was okay. I was gonna say I can't imagine if Prince was still here, the way that we knew his work ethic was, <laughs> and he would have gone through this not being able to work. Oh, he would have put out like six albums, probably. <laughs> oh no, yeah, yeah, no, Prince. There's no such thing him not being able to work. He would have been in the studio day and night. Yeah, uh, probably would have figured another way because one thing was great about Prince is Prince was always, always thinking. So he was always pushing the envelope as to what he couldn't do. He probably would have figured out some kind of way to, to play concerts where everybody's got space helmets on or something. And it would have been some <laughs> kind of thing where he have figured out how can we still do what we do and keep people safe. And, and he yeah. would just put his cap on and just... Work. I think about it all the time when I think about, man, what would Prince do? Mm. What, when Trump came, what would Prince do? Oh, when, yeah. when, when COVID, what would Prince do? I ask yeah. that question about just about everything because he always would be like, you know what this is, Morris. And then we go into this whole thing. Philosophical. Like, oh, so, Philosophical. Yeah, right. Here we go. Yeah, right. You hear it. You hear it in the lyrics for sure. Um, well, we only have about a minute left, but God, I could talk to you for five more hours. I can see why Cindy is bragging about you. <laughs> well, well um, she's pretty epic herself. You know, I, I love Cindy to bits. She's like a wonderful person. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. got to go back and listen to her episode. It was really, it was probably That's one true. of the more unique things she's ever done because she yeah. was very revealing and vulnerable. Yeah. Um, but thank you, Morris, for being here. How can people find you? You're on social media. 
um, how can they, they yeah. send you letters or whatever? Yeah, I'm on I'm on all of the things. I'm actually funny. I'm, I'm getting a website design like right now. I'm in the process of designing my own website right now. I have the, the new power generation website. But for my personal thing, I'm on Facebook. I'm in my name, Morris Hayes. I'm Hayes.Morris on Instagram. And and I, I don't go on Twitter a whole lot, but I, I'm, I'm on Twitter as well. Uh, so uh, I'll, I'll try to like on one of these things, I'll post all of that stuff up so everybody can see. But I will and have once, my, once my, we tour, are you going to tour G again? Well, that's the plan for now. We have some October dates, and uh, you know it's really uh, contingent on. I guess that's the plan for now. But COVID is kind of getting crazy again. Like a lot of these venues are requiring people to have vaccinations, and you know everybody has to be vaccinated in order for some of these places you know, for you to go. Um, so you know, I'm trying. We're trying to see what happens with this as things go forward but that for the plan right now is we're moving full steam ahead as far as october with some midwest and uh, east coast dates that's that's at the status where it is now i guess pending any other like you know of course it's the last word goes to these states and whatever they mandate as the case uh which is why we've had to postpone twice now mm. um, they'll come out with some new guidelines and say nobody you can't have crowds of course, we need crowds at, uh, in order to do shows. Yeah, and, totally. And most inside, so there, there, that brings uh, an, an issue. So there have to be either mask mandates or whatever. And as it, and if this thing gets worse, then I imagine what will happen is what happened last time, where they just said we can't have crowds over thirty people. We can't go into right. thirty. Well, mm-hmm. when you come to when you come to California, Eden and I will will message you and say we want to go backstage and give you a hug. <laughs> so Just thank, you, thank you for being here we love you <laughs> thank you, thank you so East. much thank you brother scott i appreciate you brother everybody in la much love to you thank you so much for having me on the show all right much love to you thank love you love back to you yes thanks for being here take care thank you for more information on eden go to edensustin.com For more information on Kim, go to KimLifeCoach.com. Make sure to follow them on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Talk Purpose and Truth Podcast. If you loved this episode, you'll love every episode. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything. Thank you for listening.